Yeah, thank you very much, Greg. Appreciate that. And uh, I am Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. It's good to see you. Thanks for making your way here to, to Grace Point this morning. Uh, those who are watching online, it's good to see you as well. Uh, I can't see you. I think you know that. But anyway, it's good to have you here with us. Um, and thanks for leading us through communion and sharing that together. It's always a special time uh, to do that. I hope it's a meaningful time for you uh, as it is for me. And uh, this morning we're in, I think, part eight of a series called The Secret of Being Content. Uh, and I wanted to just sit with you uh, for a little bit this morning, and I want to get right to it, uh, what I want to talk about this morning. And um, what I want to talk about this morning is a very specific topic, um, and it's a topic of anxiety. Now, you might wonder, why would we talk about anxiety? And I'll tell you why here in a second. Um, first of all, from my experience as a pastor, uh, in the last two to three years, I have referred more people to therapy and counseling than I have in the past decade combined. I've seen a significant increase in the mental health of our community uh, here locally in our own congregation, as well as in our extended community right around us. And it's not just me. I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this, but the National Center for Health Statistics has partnered with the Census Bureau. And since April 23rd of 2020, uh, post in the middle of and, and kind of now post-COVID, they've taken... Um, bi-weekly surveys, 20-minute online surveys around our nation, asking people questions, adults questions, um, to try to assess the amount of anxiety disorder or depressive disorder that's happening in our country today. So by way of baseline, before I get into that data, in 2019, 10.8% of adults aged 18 and over had symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder. This is pre-COVID. So if you look at an adult, about 10% of them would have had some kind of symptom of anxiety or depressive disorder pre-COVID. The data from just last month changes just a little bit. By October of 2023, that number has now increased from 10.8 to 33.5%. So think about that. In just a few years, we have a threefold increase in people reporting the amount of anxiety or depressive disorder that they have. Now, if you drill into that even further, you get into a particular age group of 18 to 29-year-olds. This is where it gets even more interesting. For those age 18 to 29, that number increases to almost a full half of 48.4% of young adults deal with anxiety or depressive disorder in the last two weeks. This is very current data. It goes, th th those numbers change from there based on the ages, but it starts off there. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a big deal to me. You know, when I see this, basically you could essentially say that if you look around and see young adults, a full half of them are dealing with some kind of anxiety or depressive disorder. This does not account for teens or children. And we are smart enough to know that it's not like all of a sudden when you turn age 18, all of a sudden you start dealing with anxiety. We just don't have a way to track it easily with our kids and with our, with our teens. So to say that this is an issue is an understatement. To say that it's increased, I think the data proves that. And my own experience uh, would support that. And I, I think yours might as well. And so I, I asked the question to myself, and now I get to ask it to you all, what does anxiety cost us? <laughs> you know, sometimes we talk about it as just a thing out there, but what does it actually cost us? Um, and because some of you are driven by numbers, and, and, and I thought, let me try to throw this out there. This is all the way back in 1990. In 1990, the National Institute of Health estimated that anxiety disorders cost the U.S. economy $46.6 .6 billion. That was in 1990. You know what's funny? Some of you weren't even born in 1990, right? 
So the data already, I mean, it's tripled in terms of the amount of anxiety we have. So you can just imagine what this number would be. It's so big, it doesn't even mean anything to me because I don't have an extra 46 billion sitting around in my house. I don't know about you, but it just, it's so astronomical that I lose touch with what does it really mean. There's an article written from the Journal of Affective Disorders just two months ago in September of 23. They put it in these terms. They said that people who, are, who have anxiety disorders they have reduced psychosocial functioning, reduced life satisfaction. They have relationship role and social impairment. They have greater stress. They have sleep difficulty. They have lower overall health-related quality of life. In addition, they pointed out that if you have anxiety, about 60% of people who say they have anxiety have a, what's called medically, a comorbidity of depression, meaning it just goes along with it. Um, so, Comorbidities typically increase symptoms and severity of it, leading to lower work productivity, greater health service utilization, therefore increasing costs further, meaning you're not as effective at work, you have to go to the doctor more frequently and put a greater burden on our healthcare system and on and on. And so what does it cost us? It costs us a lot. Now, speaking as a pastor now for a minute, because I'm not a medical professional, but I'll just say this. As a pastor, my experience is that Christians who deal with anxiety also deal with shame. Simply, they're ashamed of it. They're ashamed of it. That's been my experience. They just wish they wouldn't deal with it. I mean, they wish they could just wish it away. And one of the main reasons for that, in my experience, is that there is a Bible verse, a pretty clear Bible verse, that goes through the heads of any like, well-meaning Christian, any well-informed Christian. It goes immediately through your mind. And it says it quite simply, do not be what? Yeah, some of you saying it already. Do not be anxious about anything. You know what that does to people with anxiety? It gives them anxiety. <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, with petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. There it is. It's wrapped up in a bow for you. Why do you keep struggling with anxiety? And that's what people tell themselves. Christians who would prefer not to deal with it and would prefer just to get away from it all. That is the Bible verse that we are going to be on today. That's the space where Paul wrote this. He wasn't writing for us in post-COVID uh, United States of America. He was in prison in Rome, writing to an early church in Philippi, writing about how to handle some of the struggles and challenges that he had but it is very applicable to us, and I want to get into this verse with you today, and I want to ask the question, you know, so what do we do with anxiety? If it's not as simple as just quote the verse and memorize it and stick it on your car visor as you drive to work so you won't be anxious and you just think your way out of it, if it were that simple, everyone would do that by now. So what do we do with it? And just a couple things. First, I'm going to say I'm not a therapist, okay? I want to share as a pastor from a theological lens, not a therapist from a therapeutic lens. Um, I think pastors and therapists or counselors can work together, but they are different, and there's value in both. I'll say that again, and there's value in both. I don't think the solution to this sits squarely or, or only in the spiritual realm if you think that therapy and counseling does not have spiritual value. I'd say that it certainly does. So I, however, am not a therapist, nor am I a counselor. I'm sharing as a pastor. So I'll just put it this way. Anxiety 
This is the way I see anxiety. Anxiety is to contentment like kryptonite is to Superman. All right? They do not work together. It is the thing that tears apart any hope we have of finding contentment or finding peace or finding settledness. You, they do not function together. It just begins to wear down your strength. You, you, and those of us who deal with anxiety, we understand what that feels like and what that means. All right? So with that being said, let me jump into the text with you. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair here around you. That's our gift to you. We'd love to have you take it home with you if you don't own one. And Philippians is in the right two-thirds of your Bible. Paul is writing there in this little four-chapter letter. Again, he's writing from prison. And we're in the last chapter of Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. We're going to find the, the key verses that I just quoted here in, in just a moment. So here we go, beginning at verse 4, going through verse 7. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, well, let's, let's do this. All right, let's jump into this. The way I'm going to just walk through this this morning, like I typically do, but especially this morning, I'm, I'm just going to go verse by verse and phrase by phrase this morning, just to get into what, what Paul has to say. Let's begin in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And if you think about that word rejoice, it, it does mean what you probably think it means. It means to be happy and to essentially have a party around. It, it, it is a word that was used in um, ancient Israel to describe a festival that's going well. So think of any party that you've really enjoyed, um, whether it's a wedding reception or whether it's your 50th birthday party or maybe it's a kid's first birthday and, and there's joy in the room, all right? It's kind of a festival. It's, that's what it means. And so Paul, again, writing from prison, writing from prison, he's saying, rejoice, rejoice. Now, the scope of that rejoicing is very interesting because he's saying rejoice where? Not in your circumstances. And this is important. Rejoice not in your circumstances. The scope of where to rejoice, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And so he's telling us, and, and this is important coming from prison, that the place that you can find that festival of life, of light, of joy, of delight, the, the scope of that, the place to go for that is to find that in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. Very important that he doesn't say that this is circumstance-laden uh, circumstance, uh, or restricted. In other words, your life can be falling apart, and some of you might say, well, it is. And Paul would, might say, I'm still going to ask you to rejoice. In fact, I may even tell you that it would be a good thing to do to to rejoice, not because you don't see your circumstances, but because rejoicing in the Lord can happen above and beyond the circumstances that I find myself in. We're not, not paying attention to that, but we do see that rejoicing is in the Lord. That can happen. What I asked the question of Paul here is like, Paul, how do I do that, right? What does that mean to do that? Do I listen to praise and worship music in the car on the way to, to, to work? Is that what you mean? Do I have a, a quiet or devotional time in the morning? Is that what you mean? Do I write out a rejoicing? Do I, what, what does that mean? And he's not clear here what it means. 
that can be internal, but what happens next in verse 5 is, is external. So it's very interesting as I see the, the work inside of us being done. This can be a choice to rejoice in God. But then verse 5 takes us right into how we interact with the people around us. Because you know this, that the people that you interact with who, who deal with anxiety um, are, are often nervous or stressed um, and it shows up in different behaviors, sometimes sleeplessness, um, ineffectiveness at work, um, busyness, distracted, um, uh, insecure, and you know, all these things that anxiety can create. So verse 5, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now he's saying, as you relate to people, instead of letting anxiety, if you will, or the pain or the struggle of your circumstance overcome you to the point where you are... Um, short with all the people around you. You're, you're, you're angry with people. You, you, it's overcoming you. It's kind of uh, taking over. He said, I, I want you to let it, not make it, but let your gentleness, in other words, there's reasonableness, be evident to all. So the people that you work with and go to school with and live in homes with, they, they, can, they can feel in their experience with you that even though we know you're stressed, even though we know you're anxious, that there's a gentleness still to your spirit and how you interact with, with people. And that's his ultimate Hope. And, and then he says this at the end of verse 5, a very interesting four-letter phrase. He said, the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Uh, that's a really strange thing to say there. Uh, how does that fit into this? And I think this is a really important idea because what I think is happening is, is Paul is trying to remind people, and maybe even himself, where he is at in his prison, that no matter what you're going through, God is near to you in that space. And what that means is, what that means is that your circumstances, as overwhelming as they may be, do not need to be God over you. They don't have the kind of power that the Lord has. Over and over in the Psalms and even in the Hebrews and the New, in Hebrews and the New Testament, we, we read that the Lord is near. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Why? Because the Lord is near. I think Paul is trying to remind the early church, and I think us, that if God is near you, not far from you in your pain, not far from you in your anxiety, not far from you in your depression, if God is near, that gives us a space to remember, I don't need to be owned by this anxiety. God is actually here. He's here. Let's keep going with this. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And I think the reason he can say that is because he believes that the Lord is near. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, let's look at this idea about anxiety real quick. When you think about anxiety, and I haven't defined it for you yet. So here's the word. The word in the, the Greek New Testament for anxiety means this. To have an anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. I wanted to highlight just two words in this definition, possible danger. For those of you dealing with anxiety, and I'm in that camp as well, I deal with anxiety as well, okay? So for those of us, let me put it that way, those of us are dealing with anxiety, what you feel is that the world becomes unsafe where you are. It feels dangerous. And you can't always explain it. And it might be a moment, and you may not even understand that you're feeling that at that time. But whether it's when the boss walks in, or your spouse walks in, or your kids are there, or you're with peers, or you walk into the lunchroom, or you're trying to make the team, or you're, you're all of a sudden front and center, or you have a thought or a flashback or a triggering moment, when the world becomes unsafe 
for you, the way that you respond internally is this word the scriptures will use to talk about as anxiety. Based on apprehension, there's something unsafe, possible danger or misfortune. That's very important to see. So let's be realistic about this for a minute. One of the worst things to do for people when they're feeling anxious is to tell them, stop being anxious. I don't know of anyone who's ever been like, that was so helpful. I wish I would have thought of that before I came to talk to you, right? So let me just clarify, as we live with one another, be careful about intellectual answers and pastoral moments. I think what Paul is writing here from prison is right, absolutely. But it is also, I might say, an intellectual answer. Sometimes pastoral moments require some more um, wisdom and grace. In other words, any good parent knows this. Your three or four or six-year-old starts to throw a temper tantrum or, or, you know, breaks down because the battery in their favorite toy just died. You don't start laying into them saying, get yourself together. This is ridiculous. Even though it might be ridiculous, what do you offer to them? Grace? Because of their age and their moment, right? And so anxiety in, in many ways, when people, uh, particularly Christians who feel shame around being anxious, when they come and share that with you, first of all, consider that an honor. But second of all, don't, don't quote this verse to them. <laughs> don't quote this verse to them and just say, memorize this and come back in seven days and tell me how it goes. I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't work. The pastoral moment says, let me, uh, let me give you some grace to hear it. I need to hear it because you're inviting me to walk this part of the journey with you. So I want to you know, hear it uh, with you. Because like I said before, remember that some people have, uh, that, that shame attaches to anxiety for most Christians. For Christians, it's not enough to deal with anxiety. Now you deal with shame for feeling anxious because you think you should do this verse better, all right? And you're not doing it better, and then it gets frustrating, and then you feel you know, really kind of stuck. So I asked this question. I don't know what you guys think about this. I asked, well, okay, was Jesus ever anxious? I would say this, Jesus never sinned, okay? Uh, Jesus never sinned. But as I think about Jesus in the garden, when he's going to the cross, um, you know, the, the text tells us that he sweated drops of blood. Now, I don't know what you call that. I don't know what you call that, but I, I have to say it's at least in the, in the realm of something like this. We can at least relate to the fact Jesus didn't want to do this, and it caused tremendous angst in him. And so if that, you know, if that's the case, I, I just want to put it this way. Sometimes, sometimes our spirituality doesn't allow for our humanity. Sometimes our spirituality, we think that we need to be so much better than we are. We think sometimes that we need to be so far along and not still be dealing with anxiety or depression or mental health struggles or anything like that. And we feel like we should be further along, but it doesn't allow for our humanity. Even Jesus in his humanity dealt with tremendous angst to the point where he was, he prayed that God the Father would take the, he didn't want to go to the cross. I mean, he said, I'd take it from me, but he was willing, he was willing, but he was in such angst over it. Such angst. And I might even argue perhaps anxiety if you allow for anxiety not to be a sin. Jesus didn't sin. All right. So I just want to say, be careful here. So what can we say? You know, what can we say about anxiety? Um, let me put it this way. Anxiety says this, worry about the possible danger in your world. That's what I see. That's what I think this word means. It's saying you need to spend time. And anxiety offers this solution. It says, if you worry enough, you will worry yourself into peace. That's the way to get to peace. If you will worry enough, you can find peace. 
Make sure you think about every possible scenario for your children. Make sure you think about every possible scenario for your health. Make sure you cover all the bases financially. Make sure you just worry enough, and I will promise you peace if you worry enough about it. Now, doesn't that sound ridiculous when I put it that way? Who could ever find peace by worrying enough? And here's what Paul says in these verses. Paul reminds us the Lord is near. The Lord is near. There's possible danger. Yeah, there is. Instead of worrying your way through it, remember, the Lord is near. The sovereign Lord of the universe is near. The one who sees all and doesn't sleep on your pain, he's near. The one who went to the cross for you and sent his son to go to the cross for you, he's near. He sees your pain. He went through his own humanity. Christ did. He's near. He sees your temptation, your struggle. He's near. He is near. Yes, the world is not safe for you in this moment. You do not have to have worry be the only solution here, but it is a dominant one. Paul reminds us in the middle of that, the Lord is near. I think Paul is saying here, you don't have to be trapped by the fear that anxiety threatens to bring over you. If the Lord is near, then all of a sudden a world that's dangerous can be safe. I know that's easier said than done. Now, let's keep going in the text. That's verse 6, verse 7, excuse me, the end of verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, he says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You notice that there's not just one word for prayer. He says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. This is very important to distinguish. Prayer is simply the matter of putting those requests out there. Petition, petition means an added urgency. An added urgency. So it's like, um, you know, if I'm, uh, I don't know about you all, I don't have time to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it real quick. Uh, how many of you all clean your house extra special when guests are coming over, right? Okay, some of you. The rest of you, okay, too bad. No, anyway. So you know how it works. So sometimes, let's just say, this is the hypothetical, complete, complete hypothetical, let's just say I'm tasked with the job of vacuuming the house before the guests arrive, right? But if our guests decide to arrive early, like I have a time in my timeline when I'm going to vacuum the house. But if they're coming and we see them coming down the driveway, all of a sudden it's like, they're coming. There's an urgency to that request now, right? There's an urgency. That's not just a prayer. There's now an urgency of like, Tim, you better get to vacuuming. You better finish that up because they're coming. That's completely hypothetical. Never would happen in our family or whatever. This is the spirit behind this. He says, with prayer and petition. So it's like, God, I'm anxious about this. This doesn't feel safe. God, I really want you to know it doesn't feel safe now. Like, I need you now. Urgency. Not just that it is, but there's an urgency to it. And that's what he's on. And I really appreciate the honesty of that. He's saying sometimes anxiety is going to be so overwhelming. You need to have that urgency of soul and spirit and that freedom to bring it to God in that way and be like, I, it's not just that I need you, God. I really need you now. They're coming up the lane and they're going to be here in a minute and I need it now. That's petition. There's an urgency to that. And then he adds, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Because if all I do is petition, then I can urgent my way right back into anxiety and worry. And then he hits me with thanksgiving. In other words, remember, where we rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Remember, God, I need you to help me, and God, I want you to remember that I remember you're good. I want to thank you for being near. I want to thank you for seeing. I want to thank you 
for hearing where I am. And he says, present your requests to God. Present is a passive tense. That means simply this. It means I'm going to take my request and I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to put them here. God, I just want you to know about them. You get to decide what to do. I'm not demanding you fix it, but I'm presenting it to you. With urgency, with thanksgiving, with clarity. Here's what's going on. And then what happens? The last verse, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends or passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is fairly simple to understand, at least in our heads. It means what it says, that the peace of God, the, the, what in the Old Testament is called shalom, it's the sense that uh, as a small child, they've fallen down off their little tricycle and they've scraped their knee on the sidewalk and they're in pain and the world is over as they know it and they're crying and they get scooped up by mom or dad and they settle their crying, sniffly little self into the shoulder of mom or dad and they feel safe again and they feel at peace. And this is that idea that all can be right with the world when I'm in the arms of my father. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard. That's a military word to set up a garrison or a big wall around your heart. Because anxiety, you know it, 48.4% of our young adults are constantly attacked with anxiety. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, can set a guard around that. This is not like, um, you know this, you know God is not a vending machine. You know you don't put in a prayer and get immediate peace back, right? I mean, you, you know that. But this is what Paul still offers to us. And I wish I could always control this, right? I mean, there's some stories you have of people losing their loved ones and they, they pray and in these times of great pain, they experience a peace that passes all understanding. And other people don't. You know, just be honest. You don't experience that peace that passes understanding. You don't feel that. But this is still what Paul is saying to us. And here's what I see behind this, that Paul pictures a heavenly father who wants to guard you and protect you from the anxiety that threatens you over and over and over again. You have a loving heavenly father who wants to scoop you up, hold you in his arms, and keep you, keep you from the fear of the dangerous world that you think you live in. Now, what can we do with this? Let me try to boil it down to a few things because we're going to do something a little, little bit different to wrap it up. So let me, let me uh, wrap it this way and then explain a little bit different thing. Um, if I summarize this, I think what Paul gives us here is a framework to, to process anxiety. Again, this is from a theological lens as a pastor to you. Uh, first, as I look at these verses, I'll put it this way. First, he says that joy exists in God. So he begins that way. Joy exists in God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. That that is a party environment. That is a festive space. Joy exists in God. Secondly, he, a big reminder, the Lord is near. The, the proximity of God to my pain is not dependent upon my circumstances, but it's dependent upon God. And so God is near, even for Paul in prison. God didn't bail him out. God didn't bail Christ out out of the cross. He let him go through painful, death-like circumstances. So God is still near despite the circumstances. This is part of the framework of anxiety. So therefore, you don't have to give in to, you don't have to give in to anxiety's fear. Because anxiety wants you to say, if you don't worry enough, this thing is too powerful. 
The Lord is near, and he's more powerful. That's what Paul is saying. The Lord is near. You don't have to give in to anxiety fear. Fourthly, therefore, pray with urgency and thanksgiving. Pray with urgency and thanksgiving. God, I, I feel like the world is overwhelming, but I, I need you, and I need you now. I'm going to leave this here with you. I'm going to ask you to bring this peace that passes understanding. And finally, this way, God does want to protect you. God doesn't want your world to be unsafe. He doesn't want your world to be dangerous or for your anxiety to be so crippling that you're not able to get through what you're facing. God wants to protect you. So here's what I'd like to do today. Uh, in fact, right now, I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on up. The worship team is going to sing a song behind me, um, a song called, Lord, I Need You. Uh, I'd invite you not to sing with them. And the reason for that, um, they're going to sing for, for a, a smaller portion of this song. Uh, I would like to give you time right now in the service. You can take the next few moments to do whatever you'd like. Uh, if you would like to just listen to what they sing, please be, be my guest. But I would like to encourage you to try this on for a minute. I'd like to encourage you to spend a few moments in prayer silently at your own seat right now or at your computer if you're watching online right now or in your AirPods if you're listening to the podcast later, that go through this framework relative to your own anxiety. You start at the top. God, remind me, remind me that joy exists in you. I want to thank you for being near. This is what I see in you, Father. Thank you for being a kind, loving, merciful God. Thank you for seeing my pain. Thank you for being present. Thank you for bringing joy in the middle of my pain. Help me not to give in to anxiety's fear. And I want you to name your anxiety. God, I'm nervous about, I'm nervous about what's happening about my future, with my health, with my friends, with my spouse. I don't know what to do. I've prayed to you before and you don't seem to listen to me. Pray with urgency and thanks. God, I want to thank you for hearing me being a God who wants to protect me. So I want to encourage you to take the few moments we have now, and I'll come back when they're done. I'll come back up, and I'll close us in prayer. And so we'll have a time for us to reflect. Be glad to have you walk through this, because I want you to have time to experience the goodness of God through prayer, a chance to walk through this. So I invite you to do that as the worship team leads us, and I'll come back up when they are done.